0: Welcome to the AV Podcast Movies Edition presented by Phil Hinton
1: Hello and welcome to the Movies Podcast for July. Coming up, we review Lord of the Rings Extended Edition, Sucker Punch, Sanctum 3D, Paul and Outrage on Blu-ray. So this month on the podcast, we got Mark, Steve... Simon, and making an appearance. Uh, he only does this once every two years. Is Kaz? Hello, hi guys. Hello,
0: hello Phil. Phil. Hi Phil.
1: Hello Kaz. So Kaz, uh, where have you been hiding for the last two years? Tell everybody.
0: I, I've actually uh, I self exiled myself to um, to hide under the bed for two years. So yeah, I've come back and and I had to relearn the English language, but I did it especially for this podcast. So Kaz, uh, you've
1: made the appearance just to talk about uh, one uh, trilogy in particular, Extended Editions, coming to Blu-ray 27th of June on uh, Region B. Region A review is up on this site, Lord of the Rings, tell us all about it.
0: Well, uh, it's what a lot of people have been waiting for an undue length of time. We had, I think we had like three different versions on, um, on DVD. People could pick up the theatrical versions then they could pick up the extended versions, then they could pick up the limited edition theatrical versions which had extras not on the extended editions. Um, we thought it was all over when Blu-ray came out because, you know, why do you need to quadruple it? But um, but actually they decided to start Blu-ray off with last year's theatrical editions again uh, with bare bones extras. and. Um, now we've got finally got the extended cuts which is fantastic news everyone's been really looking forward to it but also everyone's been scrutinizing it to see whether it really is you know that it really cuts the mustard and um, I have to say I'm very impressed with the box sets aside from all the misgivings it does only have all the extras from before it does provide stuff that people should already have in one form or another but it still provides it in one package with arguably the best picture and audio quality for all of the sets. Um, they, it's a it's a must own trilogy. It's got to be uh, probably one of the most perfect trilogies that has ever been done. If you're gonna talk about anything from the Godfather movies to um, even taking the first three Alien movies or taking the Terminator trilogy that came before Salvation, um, there are great movies in there, but this is a perfect trilogy, and uh, I, I can't I can't imagine there's going to be many people who don't want to own this edition. At some stage, they may not go out and spend whatever ninety dollars on it straight off the bat, but at some stage, most people will want to pick this up and. For those who still haven't the, made the leap to Blu-ray, I think there is an argument in in the Lord of the Rings set. Fans out there who haven't made the leap will want to invest in Blu-ray just to get their favourite trilogy and immaculate presentation. Um, now, I really rate all of the films in their extended edition. Uh, I did have some faults with the theatrical editions, which is why I picked up on it more in my last review. Um, But this latest review just goes all out for my love for the films. And uh, they've done really well in presenting them, they've taken their time, put them on two discs each, spread it out so that you don't get anyone quibbling like they did with Avatar about should they or should they not have crammed so much of one movie onto one disc. Um, Did it affect the video or the audio quality? Well, in this, they have, there's no qualms about it. They've split it onto two discs for each of the films. And it's, uh, they seamlessly uh, reintegrated all of the scenes. It looks fantastic. There is a downside to all of this because since everybody is scrutinizing this particular package, it's been noted that so there has been a change to the color timing on Fellowship. Um, both of the, the second and the third movie, they look amazing. There's there's no quibble over them. But Fellowship had its problems when it was released on Blu-ray last year. Um, it, it didn't look like it had been remastered. It looked distinctly uh, poor in comparison to the other two movies. And fans really wanted them to do something with this particular movie. And visually, uh, it now looks very impressive. But it looks slightly different colour. What I mean by that is that it appears Peter Jackson has authorised a change to the colour timing for Fellowship. So it now looks slightly green. Now what fans are complaining about quite rightly so is that if you do a direct screen to screen comparison you will notice in some shots that it looks a little bit odd and a little bit false. So you get... um, uh you, you get people with white beards now having slightly off white beards, um, pinkishy normal natural coloured skin now looks slightly jaundiced, and uh the snow white landscapes now look with a twinge of yellow. And uh of course blue skies are kind of bluey cyan skies. And It's not as bad as it sounds when describing it, but as I say, if you do a split screen comparison, it really is quite striking and uh, no one has yet to get an answer out of Peter Jackson and we're waiting for release dates where I guess a lot of us expect him to then issue some kind of statement which either involves a blanket, yes it was my intentional, yes I did want it to look more green, Uh, sorry some of you don't particularly like it but that's the way it is, everyone's got to live with it, or he says well no someone came and and messed a little bit with the colour timing after I left the remastering process someone pressed the wrong button Uh, yes we'll get it sorted in a gladiator style send us your discs we'll send back new improved discs Um, no one knows the answer to that so i think people are eagerly awaiting it does it look bad
2: no that's the question does it look bad i mean when you put it on and you're sitting there and you're watching it and you're going my god this is green this is awful i'm going to turn it off
0: no i i would i dare say that Only people who've compared it screen to screen will really notice it. It, it, You will get, particularly Lord of the Rings fans, you will get a niggling feeling that something isn't quite right, whether it's with skin tones or with the snow. But you won't watch the film and go, damn, that's green. You'll watch the film and go, oh my God, this looks amazing on Blu-ray. You know, you'll be totally blown away by it. But if you really, really love the film, and you really notice these things, then you are going to pick up on it. And if you love the film that much and have read about what's going on and did a comparison, you would know there's something massively different. So, so it's difficult because if you if you don't know anything about this and don't listen to this podcast and don't read the forums and you know pick up the film for the first time and stick it in your machine, you'll go that looks amazing and you will have no complaints about it. You'd have to be really on the ball to pick up on anything wrong with it. But once you know there's something wrong with it, it's it's too niggling to let go. So it's difficult to then go back and go, hey, it's fine. Just just pretend like it's fine. Because once you know about it, it is too green.
3: Is there a chance, though, that he's he's perhaps uh, pushed for a slight change in the color timing, simply to to kind of affect the the overall mood of the first film? I mean, perhaps a bit more kind of verdant if it's going for a bit more of a green push, you know, like like some go for a bit more say sepia tones for you know for nostalgia and that kind of thing. That it, it's more of the kind of innocent film, the first one.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that, that there are lots of reasons why he could have done it this way. Whether it's to match in with the other two films or whether it's to match in with the ones he plans on releasing soon, the Hobbit films, he might be going for that kind of that kind of overall sort of slightly darker, greener, moodier tone. But uh, it's interesting because... If you watch some of the extra features, there is an extra feature he did on the original release of the extended editions, which looks into colour timing. And he shows, um, in like this 12-minute feature, he shows you how he can tinker with the colours. And he doesn't just tinker with the colour of the entire film, he can change some scenes so that the sky, separate from the rest, is a different colour. Like it could be pink and the rest of the scene will be exactly the same. He shows you how specific alterations were made to the film. When he can show you what he can do with that, it seems difficult to believe that he's blanket color uh, changed the color time to the whole of Fellowship, and not then notice that some colors, like snow or like a white beard or like skin, now look wrong. It seems that someone who could, could literally change the sky in a, in a shot, the, the color timing on it has then gone and overlaid it so i mean it, i can understand when you're watching the matrix the whole damn thing looks green uh, i think for one of the releases they made it less green well that's fine because it already looked green but i don't think fellowship or any of the other films for that matter ever had a ever had such an alien look to it I mean as I said I am as Simon pointed out it's not something you're gonna notice unless you do a comparison but once you do it seems unlikely he did this intentionally and 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 just thought well you know I can't be bothered to have uh pink skin anymore I'm going to have you know jaundiced skin it's it just it just doesn't seem like Jackson would have done that and if he has done this all intentionally, then surely he could just come out and say it. it's been a couple of weeks now where it's been up in the air and he could have just come out and gone, yeah, yeah, I did change it. I changed it to suit the other films. Um, it'll look really good when there, when there are four films, when there are six films. God, I can't even add five anymore. <laughs> when there are five films in the series, they will look really good. Yeah, Exactly. Um, but unfortunately, uh, he hasn't said anything, which only makes people get more and more riled up about the subject because they want an answer. And in searching for the answer within their own minds, they come up with all possible outcomes. So what we need is a definitive answer on this because as it is, I think people are certainly, some people are resisting purchasing it and some people are you know, ready waiting with their discs to return them. I, I, I just don't think anyone's particularly happy without being told the state of play yeah the longer it
3: goes on the more likely is that people will think that they're organizing some kind of a disc
0: return or that there is something genuinely wrong yeah absolutely i think i think it's going to go down the gladiator route if we don't hear anything from him in the next month because by default his silence speaks volumes
4: it just seems amazing that having gone to the trouble of remastering fellowship uh they screwed it up
2: well, it's happened before wasn't it you know, with, well, with Gladiator, Gladiator.
4: Um, with Gladiator, it was different. They didn't do a remaster. They used an old high def master from uh, about five years before, and that was the problem. And clearly, when they did do a new, struck a new print, and did a new, a new, a new high def master, you know, the differences were quite noticeable in terms of uh, you know small details. Uh, having gone to the trouble of doing a completely new remaster of Fellowship, to then totally cock up the uh, color timing. Um, you know, it just staggers the, bl- the belief, really.
1: That's that's obviously if it's a if it's cock-up. I mean, there was a story... Um, I'm trying to remember who said this. I think it might have been you, Steve. It might have been uh, Greg when we were on the THX course, which was, you know, there's only a... When it comes to theatrical release of the film, there's only a certain amount of time that they can spend uh, getting it right before it has to be released. And then, obviously, every release after that, uh, if they've got the money to tinker, they're going to tinker and they're going to get it to, to how... It, they would like it to look it's true think... phil
4: i mean i know i mean kaz mentioned it because it's an extra on the uh, on the extended edition uh, appendices but when fellowship came out in 2001 at the time they just started doing digital intermediates with color timing i mean the first film that had it done all the way through it was Oh brother where art thou and, and you can see jackson sort of playing with his new tool new toy you know this new toolkit um and i always thought the colors in Fellowship, even from the theatrical version, were exaggerated and over the top in places and, and never looked particularly accurate to begin with. Um, perhaps he's tried to rectify it, maybe he realised he went too far back then and has tried to pull it back. Um, just That's just a theory. Or maybe he is trying to tie it in more with the look uh, of The Hobbit.
1: Kaz, uh, one of the big complaints about the DVD releases uh, was the fact that high frequency detail seemed to have been smoothed out of them uh, when they were compressed. Uh, these are new remasters. How do they look? Is is everything on screen, or is there still uh, a hint of of this smoothing going on?
0: I I didn't notice any of that. I didn't notice any problems, compression problems, or or defects digitally. I mean, it's it's they're pretty much perfect images. I'm not going to say that the demo quality because of the the problems with the uh, the colour timing, which we still have undecided. But and that's where fellowship drops down over the other two, but they look very impressive. They're impressive remasters of ten-year-old movies. Um, I think that all of the problems that people would have really jumped up and down about over the previous editions, you're not going to find with this. They're not going to be absolutely perfect. It's not going to look like, um, I don't know, Tron Legacy looks on, on Blu-ray, but it, or even Avatar, but it's going to look... Pretty impressive, and certainly the best that these movies have ever looked. And uh, moving on to sound, how does that measure up? Yeah, the sound is. St- but the st- sound was never really a problem. The sound is, is stomping across the board. Uh, it's the sound on the last year's theatricals was never an issue, and here it 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 is impressive. It creates the right kind of immersive environments. It's got the, the right bass thrumming through the whole thing. I mean, it's a, it, it's a it's a whole different experience. But um, but sound was never never really an issue for these movies. I'm glad that they've done that perfectly. But it's a shame that they didn't do everything perfectly because they must have known that for this release, people were gonna people are gonna pop up and go, well, wh- why the hell didn't you put the extras on Blu-rays? You know, people are going to notice these things, and it just feels like they definitely have released this for the money and only put 70% of effort into it when it really needed like 110.
4: I wondered about why they didn't put standard definition material on the Blu-rays. And I'm thinking maybe there's something in the BDA contract or something about not having a Blu-ray that has no high-definition material on it at all. I mean, maybe there is some reason why they didn't do that, because it does seem strange. They didn't just stick it all on one disc.
0: But they, I think they could have gotten around that, because interestingly, they do have one high-definition extra, which advertises... Um, or in the it's, north uh, or something? Is it that video? Yeah, game? exactly. That's high definition. So they could have stuck that on a on a its own disc with all of the rest of the standard def features, and even, they could that could have been the extras disc yeah, rather true, than having a five so. discs per movie.
4: I mean, even if you've got the extended editions already, I th- and but didn't get the limited edition releases, it's, I think they're worth getting for the cost of both documentaries, which are actually very good. You get a, like a they were shot at the time before all the hype and everything, so you get a, I think, a more of a view of the making of the film at the time it was being shot, rather than you know in, in, in historically perhaps or looking back at it.
0: Yeah, it's raw, contemporaneous behind-the-scenes footage. Yeah, no talking heads;
4: it's all just behind-the-scenes oh. footage, and I and I found them to be quite fascinating in terms of, you know, the struggle they went through to make those films ten years ago back in New Zealand.
0: Yeah, I think I think they're great to have, but I can't imagine that many people. Well, I suppose not many people would have gone back and got the limited edition sets, but I, I can't imagine that many people could work through all of the extras on the extended editions, and then find that they're missing something. So I think it's great to have for completists, but I'm I'm not sure that they're they're not they don't make the extended editions um, obsolete, which is a no, shame no. in this.
4: I just think some people are being a bit churlish when they when they sort of moan, oh, why are they putting anything else on it? Well, I mean, to be fair, they were fairly comprehensive to start with. I mean, that was, you know, I think they're they're being a bit hard on Jackson and his team when they already put out amazing extended editions with all the extras that came with them the first time around. I mean, the, the only thing really left to, to include on in a package would be deleted scenes, which he's obviously saving for some ultimate
0: box set post the Hobbit. Oh, it's interesting. I thought he said that he'd never had any. I thought yeah, everything both. that's is like, included in it was um, was what was included. The only thing that I know was was sort of deleted were the scenes he that he didn't shoot, which were the ones like the final fight between uh, is it between Sauron and and Aragon?
4: Yeah, that he changed that into a troll in the actual version of the film. No, there's definitely scenes of them being chased into the f- after they leave the mines of Moria, being chased by orcs. I know he shot footage of Arwen at Helm's Deep before they changed that whole plot line. So there is stuff that was shot that never, but never used. Um, Mm -hmm. And and I'm positive that they'll reshoot those two shots of young Bilbo with the sort of younged up um, Ian Holm. They'll replace those with Martin Freeman. They'll replace Martin Freeman in those two shots come the next time it's released, post The Hobbit. Because I remember seeing, there's a video online of them shooting that scene with Martin Freeman. I've seen it, you know, him picking up the ring. Um, so that I bet you any money you want they change that so that there's some sort of continuity.
0: Well, I hope it doesn't become a whole Lucas thing. Two shots, that's all. Yeah, but there is a there. I understand it's a continuity problem, but I think people wouldn't go nuts if uh, if he just left these movies as they were and then showed that same scene again, like shot the same, just with Martin Freeman in it. I don't think people would go nuts over that. I th- I think it it would be it would be an unnecessary uh, quadru... I don't even know what it goes up to, but the sixth dip for releases, for them to come up. Studios are for the money. (laughs) I know, but what, just to change those two scenes and add some deleted scenes on the discs? I mean, he could have done this a long time ago. It's been 10 years, and he still hasn't... Well, yeah, you're probably right, is the answer.
4: Saving deleted scenes for some special box set. Um, Old Bilbo, i.e. Ian home, and Frodo will be in The Hobbit. So I think they will replace those scenes at some later stage.
0: All right. Well, expect more special editions. This isn't the the end of the Lord of the Rings saga. Uh,
1: So as an overall package, uh, let's wrap up on this one. Kaz, uh, what's your opinion?
0: Yeah, it's a top-notch package as as i think we've already covered the the videos is is fantastic color timing issues aside it's fantastic the audio is, is amazing and the extras even if you're going to i mean as uh, steve said it would be churlish to complain about what we get here it is one of the most comprehensive extra extras packages ever included on any release ever so i mean it's 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 tens across the board apart from I think the video comes down a little bit and depending depending where you sit on the audio it's demo quality though still but, um, but I gave tens certainly to the extended cuts of the movies and um, the extras package and the overall package is definitely going to get a ten from me because you don't get f- for your money and uh, considering again it's one of those rare trilogies that all the parts work you don't get this kind of quality release very often. And uh, it'll be interesting, certainly, to see how this fares up in comparison with the far more flawed releases of Star Wars, which are coming up later in the year, but which are also, you know, the big guns out there.
3: Am I the only one who doesn't own Lord of the Rings on any
4: discs? Yes. Yes, possibly.
1: Yep. But that's probably because it's not an Asian release.
3: (laughs) 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 Touche.
1: When they make it in manga, they're not not kidding. (laughs) Right, okay, moving on. And uh, Steve, tell us about Sucker Punch.
4: Yeah, Phil, I literally uh, just finished watching it about an hour ago. Um, And all I can say is basically it's classic Zack Snyder, two hours of pure eye candy. It's probably one of the best-looking discs I think I've ever seen. It really is gorgeous. I mean, plot-wise... You know, uh, it's basically lots of action and shooting up with girls in skimpy outfits, which isn't inherently bad. Um, you don't really get time, I think, to kind of relate to the characters very much. But uh, yeah, generally, it's mindless entertainment. And uh, as I say, it, it really is an impressive looking disc in terms of both picture uh, and sound. So um, if you're into that, you know, if you're into a bit of eye candy and something for, to give your system a workout, then definitely Sucker Punch is worth a look. Uh, it comes with uh, extended cut and theatrical cut. Plus uh, Maximum Movie Mode, which is something I, I quite like. And I know Zack Snyder's one of those guys that's quite enthusiastic about it and usually gives quite a good presentation in it. So I haven't seen that yet, but um, I know he did a good one on Watchmen. So.
0: I've just finished the review part for it. I haven't actually gone into the video and the audio yet, but as you said, they're fantastic. Um, I, I agree about the movie. It's great eye candy, uh, but there's not a great deal of depth to it. But I think that... Uh, that's not such a bad thing in some circumstances. So that style over substance thing has worked for me in a few films. So I, for example, um, I really rated Tron Legacy despite the fact that the plot was pretty damn thin. I thought that was a fantastic audio-visual experience. And actually Zack Snyder's 300 is pretty flimsy stuff. I mean the comic it's based upon is about six pages long. Um, and th- it, most of that is in the movie. There's nothing else holding it together apart from Zack Snyder's crazy visuals and uh, frenetic sort of camera style, um, CG, slow motion action throughout the whole thing. Um, and Sucker Punch for me was <clears throat> basically that with girls. Yeah, and, it was basically
4: uh, uh, um, Zack Snyder's sort of magnum opus, isn't it, in terms of his particular visual style. Whether that visual style will translate to Superman the Man of Steel uh, next year, I'm not so sure. I I, I probably wouldn't want him to be quite so stylized when doing that and be a bit more classic in terms of uh, Superman, but who knows?
3: Does Sucker Punch have a plot? Uh,
4: Yeah. Uh, The plot is... Do you want me to tell you what the plot is rather than giving away? Yeah, Yeah, go on then. Basically, uh, this girl um, gets sent to an insane asylum And then the plot of the film basically is her attempt to escape through various fantasy sequences. So um, most of the film takes place in the asylum, but takes place within fantasy sequences, within fantasy sequences. So um, the asylum becomes basically a brothel. In one fantasy sequence, and then as they try and collect various things to help their escape, they become fantasy sequences as well. Big battles and like a World War One front with giant zeppelins and uh, biplanes, and then also a dragon and uh, samurai warriors. I mean, it, as I said, it looks spectacular. Some of the stuff is amazing to look at, but um, but plot wise, it's a bit thin. Does that sound like something you might want to watch? <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, no, it it does. I mean, well, I've noticed. Um, There are quite a few films out recently with kind of worlds within worlds, you know, the kind of inception and, and, you know, a lot of things working along imaginations and what's real and what isn't. And uh, and I think less plot or certainly less um, multi-layered substance certainly would work for Snyder's style. When you say he wrote it, is it from a a comic book like his other? No, it's
4: original. It's original.
0: No, he wrote the story. Yeah, I gave it seven. Well, I'm giving it seven out of ten. So that's actually a reasonably good mark, considering it is just eye candy. I don't think it's completely blow you away, eye candy. But as I said, it's it's three hundred with girls in a bunch of different uh, alternate reality time zones. You know, battling orcs or zombie Nazis or robots. I mean, it's anything you could possibly imagine from a dream point of view. If you think of the dreams in Inception, some people complained that the dreams in Inception were a little bit too realistic and that the dreams we actually all have are much more fantastical. This is a testament to Zack Snyder's imagination, if nothing else, because um, for the very, very thin basic premise, it goes to great lengths to take you on these crazy different voyages. And for the most part, that works as an experience. It just happens to not have fantastic characterization, great dialogue, uh, a solid script, um, uh, a tangible narrative, or any deep and meaningful behind it. Other than that, it's still a great uh, audio-visual experience. So, what if you are your scores those
4: two, for video and audio?
0: Uh, well, I haven't I haven't done the review bits for that, but I probably uh, in the demo section of the ratings. So you're looking at either a ne- nine or ten out of ten for both. Um, so that's because that's regarded as reference quality. Whether or not they're perfect tens, I don't know yet. But they looked very, it looked and sounded impressive. Um, whether you're, you're going for the theatrical or the extended edition, it's great. And I should actually point out, for those who have only known one or don't know much about it, there are two completely uh, completely different... they sl- considerably different cuts. And one is 17 minutes longer. And I do think that most people should, for the first time of watching this movie, watch the theatrical version, the shorter version, because the longer version... Is great for fans of the movie who have already been established, but could turn off some newcomers. Well, there's, there's four main changes that I can notice, but the biggest thing that is going to put people off is that there's, they've got a musical number about 15 minutes into the film where a couple of the characters start singing and oh, you love get is a montage a drug, isn't it? of dancing. Yeah, Love is a Drug, exactly. That's not in the theatrical version. If you, if you don't know why the hell it's there and you already think the whole thing feels like a music video, it's going to completely take you out of the picture. Um, whereas in the theatrical version, you don't get that random musical number. Uh, the other thing is, you'll know from watching it, Steve. There's a scene at the end with John Hamm. That scene's not in it. So I, I don't want to go into huge spoiler details, but basically, uh, there's a character at the end who you just don't see at all. And I don't know for sure whether that scene works for for starters. John Hamm has a, an unnecessary amount of eye makeup going on, which just <laughs> just takes down his credibility completely. But it's a slightly disturbing scene. Uh, which is supposed to show some kind of acceptance of fate, but actually comes across as a, a girl who's been forced to lose her virginity to a high-paying customer. Uh, actually turning out to want to and to want the whole situation to take place. And I, I know that's not what Snyder's going for, but it's it's a it's a rather odd scene, which again shouldn't really have been left in. The only the only good addition I could think of was a segment in the uh, Orc fantasy it's kind of a medieval fantasy with nods to lord of the rings and a you know uh, excalibur and um it's got a scene where three of the lead girls drop down into this castle toting machine guns as you do and uh, in the theatrical version you see them hit the floor Um, and run straight into the castle with silenced machine guns and go tactically shooting from room to room until they get to the dragon, as you do. Um, But in the extended version, as soon as they hit the ground, they actually have to go full pelt and shoot hundreds and hundreds of orcs. And then they run out of bullets or, or decide randomly to not use the guns for a little bit and crack out their swords and slash hundreds and hundreds of orcs. And then they put on their silences and go down into the castle. So it's about an extra, I don't know, seven minutes of pure action, which may be over the top, but I, I can't see how any fans of the film aren't going to want to see that, even if they don't like the musical number and don't like the bit at the end. They're going to want to see that scene. It's just... I think first time round, you might as well stick with the theatrical. and then I think over the,
4: the ex- top is the only way to describe the entire film, really. Yeah, it's just, yeah. It's just consistently over the top. I mean, everything but the kitchen sink gets thrown at the screen at various times. But I quite like yeah. the yeah. musical number. I enjoyed that bit, actually. one of my favourite bits.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, I think it's definitely going to appeal to people, but I think it's a bit of a Marmite moment because I can't see everybody loving it. I think um, there's a similar musical number which was used in a film called Southland Tales which yeah. had uh, I think it had the rock in it and Sarah Michelle yeah, Gellar yeah, and a bunch of other people and I think it was heavily criticized for the random change in tone considering it was quite dark and serious material and I can see how similar criticism could be kind of levied at this because leveled at this because it is quite a dark subject matter and despite the fun craziness of the visuals, I'm, I'm not sure whether everybody would appreciate them dropping into this, this musical number. I also think that despite it being quite a fun musical number Carla Cagino sings and she does go way over the top in it, particularly towards the end. You know, and it, I don't know whether that suits either her character or the film.
3: It, it sounds very much though the way that it's been marketed almost like it's his um snyder's had significant success and it's it's his kind of kill bill moment where he gets to just make a film purely and throw in you know everything in the kitchen sink just what he wants to put in any kind of visual yeah, imagery he It's wants. kind of a vanity
4: project basically isn't it i think for Warner Brothers, a bit i guess they've made what, 300 for them watchmen for them legend of the guardians for them so or maybe they're just giving him his, you know, his one time to do what he likes before he goes and makes Superman for them. So uh, perhaps that's, that is the case. Yeah, that they're sort of giving him the keys to the to the toy cupboard for uh, one movie, and he's basically used everything he can get his hands on.
3: See, my hope is is that he's got that out of his system before he tackles Superman. Yeah, me too. Just because I, I, I you know, I, I like Watchmen, but the best things about it really come from alan moore's writing and the married up with snyder's visual flair you know he's got a talent for for big screen movies but when when he's given free reign something like this yeah I i just worry that you know he just goes off completely into his own world and i just hope that he's reigned back in a certain amount before he tackles superman
4: well, well, Christopher Nolan's producing Superman, so I'm I'm expecting Nolan to, you know, you'd expect it to be more of a collaborative effort than Snyder going nuts with a camera and um, his very Speed.
3: Oh yes, but I mean, but I mean, you know, he he professed to be a fan of of like um, the Watchmen novel, and, and I I thought there are particular points in that where he he managed to strip away some of the meaning of the original writing, where you'd expect a, a director who was strong in his conviction of of what the what the novel was about to to make sure that certain key lines and certain key issues were were highlighted, when they were kind of glossed over. So I just you know, I'm a little bit cautiously optimistic about Superman. Put it that way.
1: Okay, so uh,
0: rounding up on *Saga Punch*, Kaz, uh, give us the disc details, please? Yeah, well, it's out in the states now. I don't think that all that long after it came out in the UK in the cinemas, but um, but we get a region free disc. Uh, and I I give the movie a 7 out of 10, and the video and the audio, uh, they are excellent. I haven't quite figured out between 9s and 10s for them, but you can tell that they're demo quality. And um, the extras, as Steve mentioned, we get maximum movie mode, we also get some uh, great uh, comic book prequel bits which expand on the various dream segments and a uh, a brief look at the soundtrack. I think all in all I'd be surprised if they didn't get a le- at least a 7 as well. So you're looking at an overall package that's that's in the uh, at least 8 region, 8 out of 10. So it's a good deal and I think the yeah, the movie's been to a certain extent unfairly uh, bashed so um, so I hope to maybe rectify that a little bit by presenting it as it is, which is great eye candy, both in terms of a Blu-ray release and in terms of a movie.
1: Okay, so uh, we're heading over to Mark, and Mark, you're going to talk about Outrage.
3: Yeah, well, moving on from, uh, interestingly, one film that had a, a slightly impromptu musical number, Takeshi Kitano also did the same thing with uh, Zatoichi, and we're looking at his latest film with Outrage. Um it's a return to the Yakuza genre for him, uh, very much something that fans have been crying out for for years. it's um, it's it's a slightly different tale, really. It's still written, directed, and edited by katano, but he he manages to kind of take himself out of uh, out of the story for large segments. It, it's a standard tale of um inter clan. Politics and power struggles and the like, but Katano spends most of his time behind the camera, and so therefore he, he's he's really I think he's slowly looking to to focus into being solely a director. And it's it's a decent film. It's it's a decent film in terms of uh, standard yakuza genre, but people expect so much more from him. People expect things like Hanabi. People expect things like Sonatine. To have various different layers to them, to to have a certain uh, Zen quality, to to have a a basic message at their core. This this doesn't. This has one real theme, which is essentially that the world of gangsters is dog eat dog, and beyond that, there's no great substance at, at its center. It's it's basically everyone bows to one man, and everyone essentially gets beaten up by another. So it's. It lacks a certain meat on its bones, but it does have a, a pretty devilish streak of humor running through running through it and that's kind of pure Kitano. It's it's very, very black humour uh, and it's mixed in with the, the sporadic violence. But it, it, it gives it enough of an edge and enough of a twist to certainly make it make it worth a watch. I know Kaz saw it as well. What were your thoughts,
0: Kaz? Yeah, I, I saw it a while back. I have no idea how I got to see it before you, but um, but I picked it up and I uh, and I watched it with a, a, another mate of mine, and we both love Kitano. I introduced him to to a friend of mine, and um, I personally got into him because I saw Sonosine and was totally blown away by it. It's coming on for let's nineteen eighty nine, is it Sonatine? It's quite a few years ago, actually. It's probably in the early nineties, but it's. You know, it feels like a long time I've been watching his movies and everyone appears to be a masterpiece in its own right. And then re- more recently, he seems to have struggled and kind of uh, misstepped a couple of times, but still largely remained Katanu. And um, yeah, I've been a bit disappointed by uh, a couple of things I've seen by him recently. And Outrage w- was, for me, his return to, you know, his... his perfect genre which is gangsters and he's always managed to bring a humanity and a heart and something to it to it, some substance to it. And it looks like he's dropped all of that and, as you say, taken a back seat. And he's provided a standard, you know, gangster film with some interesting twists and it's quite dark. And it does have his humour and it does have his direction, but doesn't have him. And unfortunately for me that's one of the biggest reasons to watch his movies he's great even you know, he had, a, he had a, um, an accident a few years back which left him with this twitch down half of his face and it still plays perfectly for his character his character in some of his movies gets shouted at loads and just sits there twitching at the screen a little bit and for some reason it's just mesmerising and yet in Outrage he's, he's, he's it's not a cameo but it is definitely a supporting role and um, you wonder. I mean, Mark mentioned a while back that uh, that they're doing an outrage too, um, but I have doubts as to whether Kitano can be in it uh, and even will be in it. So I suppose I'm. I've got my. I've got my. Um, I feel a bit sad about the fact that this could be his gangster swan song, and feel like maybe he could have taken a, a a more prominent position and gone out with a bang, quite literally rather than kind of dwindled off onto the side as a supporting character.
3: Well, I I, th- I think actually that it, it's gonna prove outrage perhaps being uh setting up the transition from him being in front of the camera to being solely behind it because of, you know, don't want to give anything away, but it it's doubtful that his character will be back in the in the sequel. I'd assume that they will run with the perhaps the same um characters that make it through to the end, um the new boss, the the cop character, was was actually one of the more inspired and interesting ones in in Outrage. I felt, and I think maybe he's just shifting himself, giving people one last uh, look at him acting in this kind of genre before moving solely to behind the camera for anything further. The disc, Hong Kong disc, comes from Panorama. They usually squeeze um, various Japanese releases onto bD 25s it's uh, 1080p AVC encode it it's pretty strong um, across the board a couple of slight slight falters um, a slight um, strange judder on a particular pan um, motion in a couple of shots could be a bit tighter and you know uh, some minor sharpening sharpening other than that it, it's it's solid it's it's a it's a decent release and the Japanese DTS HD Master Audio 5.1 track uh, perfectly represents Keichi Suzuki's score with some of his great synth as we heard in Zatoichi and so it's, it's got a bit of punch um, could do with a little bit more LFE but other than that it's it's a decent disc. What region is it? That's uh, region A locked and unfortunately the the extras that come on a separate DVD have no English subtitles.
1: Okay, so uh, that's Outrage. Uh, Moving things along swiftly, before we go to our uh, 3D disc for this month, uh, let's go to Steve. Steve, uh, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, back again with a little alien called Paul.
0: Yeah. I
4: have to say I I quite enjoyed Paul. Um, It's relatively funny. um, I had two big problems with it, really. One was it's chock full of of movie in-jokes and references, which is great if you're a movie fan because you can pick up on them and, and some of them are quite, quite humorous. But I just think it could be quite, uh, uh, if you're not a massive movie fan or particularly if you're not a massive fan of alien movies, you know, it could be a bit, a bit disconcerting. And also uh, my big problem basically is the main character obviously is Paul, uh, the alien, who's voiced by Seth Rogen, who has a very distinctive voice. And you never once think of Paul being a real character within the film. For me, he was always Seth Rogen, um, and, and, I, and I wish they'd use anybody, you know, some unknown or somebody else, the less distinctive voice to voice Paul, because it took me out of the film most of the time. Whenever he opened his mouth, it was, it was just Seth Rogen. Um, so, so, so I enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's very funny. Um, you know, it's, it's got loads of in jokes and stuff. about you know, Other alien movies, Close Encounters, ET, etc. Nice little cameo from uh, Steven Spielberg, but. But I just felt, I just wish they'd use someone else to voice Paul himself, really. That was my, my view, I don't know what anyone else thinks.
1: Well, I went into it with not very high expectations because of the reviews that I'd, I'd read um, on our forums and, and across the internet. Um, some good reviews, but mainly negative reviews for whatever reason, I, I can't remember exactly what the main point of the negatives were i think it was more a case of uh you know it was a comedy vehicle for for peg and and frost and i think people just wanted to shoot them down after the success of hot fuzz and and uh Shaun of the dead i have to say um i thoroughly enjoyed it i watched it the other night absolutely in- thought it was great i didn't have any issues with seth rogan because i don't watch any of his comedy stuff so um i didn't have that that issue that you had steve i thought some of the in jokes were absolutely brilliant um uh, a lot of movie references in there that are quite well hidden as well. So un- unless you you know the the movie uh, or the dialogue that the, the that's being used, then um, I could see people that are not movie fans struggling a little bit with the with the end jokes. But then the in jokes th- they were never flagged up anyway, were they? they were it was more of the uh, get up and go of the movie. So if you missed it, you missed it. It didn't make any real difference, I, I think. And like you say, lots of nice little cameos in there. And my favourite line was, uh, this is a boring conversation anyway when he shoots the, uh, the radio in the there, car. You,
4: there's there's yeah. loads of that. There's one brilliant one where he goes, paint me like one of your French girls, Jack, which is straight out of Titanic, which I thought was hysterical, but I don't think anybody but me got. <laughs>
1: no, um, no I, I did, I got that. And That was and, and really the sh- funny. <laughs> and, and the shot back to Simon Pegg, he does the same uh, raised eyebrow as DiCaprio yeah, in the movie. Yeah, I thought it was, that was That
4: was a brilliant Titanic nod that I thought was really funny. <laughs> um, and going to, um, as soon as you know they're going to Wyoming, you're thinking, right, devil's tower yeah, and devil's, the uh, Point there which is great mm. um and there's that and the cameo with spielberg you only hear it's not it's not only a voice cameo but uh where um i won't just spoil it for anyone but where where paul is sat is quite funny too when he's having the conversation on the phone yeah yep yep very good um also it, it's got a nice little atheist message to it which i quite like too, to be honest
1: well you see i was going to try and avoid that one try and avoid the controversy but yeah um I, I thought that whole uh, storyline throughout was was really good. Um, the way that they were they kept bashing religion, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, me too.
2: Do you think it missed Edgar Wright? Do they need him to try and keep the English? Well, wit and Greg, Greg Matola's got a very
4: Greg Matola's got a very different directorial style to Edgar Wright, um, and maybe since it's set in America, and it, and is you know it's steeped in American alien movies as much as anything. Mm. Um, Perhaps a different directorial style suited it better, I think, because it's quite a a leisurely paced film in many ways. And then they're sort of traveling across country with an alien or chased by the FBI or whoever they are. NSA. But, uh, you know, I think I think Greg Montoya's style probably suited it better than the slightly frenetic style that that, uh, Edgar Wright uses um, uh, on on his movies.
1: It, it was definitely a, a Peg Frost uh, vehicle. I mean, they, they wrote it and uh, it was one of these throwaway ideas that they had. Was it during Shaun of the Dead? I think it was, according to the extras, that's when they came up with the idea. And it was just a drawing that Simon Pegg had done and, and they developed it from that. Uh, what I did like was the whole road trip thing. Having done a, quite a few US road trips now <laughs> in a nerdy style with uh, Steve last year. Uh, i get the whole two nerds on the road two british nerds on the road in america type thing so i found that quite funny as well
4: one thin one fat so (laughs) yeah
1: at least i've got a head of hair yeah true (laughs) yeah yeah so it was enjoyable um is it up there with shawn of the dead and and uh hot fuzz no i don't think so um although it was enjoyable, and it's definitely one for sci-fi film fans to get the kicks out of the in-jokes and so on. The only thing that put me off was Comic Con at the start. There's there's just too much of that in these films these days, um, centering around that, and and it just feels forced for me. But apart from that, I thought it was uh, highly entertaining for an hour and a half.
4: And picture and sound quality, Phil? Uh,
1: Picture quality, uh, nice uh, 235 image, which obviously uh, myself and you can take... Advantage of at home yeah. with the cinemas, not boasting or anything, but it does make a difference um, when you can get that full scope image. Uh, picture quality was okay, I didn't think it was anything fantastic. Sound mix again was uh, um, workmanlike, uh, nothing over the top, nothing outlandish, um, didn't draw its attention any attention to itself, but when it needed to be, it was uh, pretty bombastic.
4: Yeah, uh, and quite a few extras, I think, isn't there? Uh, commentary track, or at least one. Yeah,
1: um, I, I always find it quite funny um, when you get Frost, frost and Peg together. Um, they, they bounce well off each other, they work very well with each other, and you, you get that sense when you're uh, watching the extras and stuff like that. Um, I haven't been through the whole disc. Is the R2D2C3PO skit in there? Oh,
4: <laughs> I don't know, because I, I, there's so much on, there's quite a lot on the disc, to be honest, and I haven't had a chance to go through it all yet. I've been too busy writing reviews for you, Phil. <laughs> uh, to be honest <laughs> yeah, he's a slave driver anyway the sketch i've seen and it is really funny
1: yeah yeah so if, if it's not in the disc go and youtube it because it is uh, hilarious but yeah thumbs up from me anybody else yeah i quite enjoyed it
3: i gotta say i i did find the whole seth rogan voice i've got to agree with steve there it's it's such a distinctive voice that i found it just kind of pushed me out from the whole kind of suspension of disbelief and although you you could argue that the amount of in jokes there you're you're never really engrossed into it as a as a full-blown narrative but it's still it just it having seen quite a few seth rogan films i suppose for me it just seemed like it was always seth rogan there rather than it being a paul being a character in his own right
4: yeah exactly um and I think that's the problem. Don't get me wrong, I like Seth Rogen, and I think he's a very funny guy. But because his voice is so distinctive, it, you stopped thinking of Paul being a genuine character within the movie, uh, and, and, it, and it took you out of the whole experience. I mean, like you say, you don't, you don't want to be suspending disbelief at all. Um, and I think that's a mistake in the end. I think you needed to believe in... I mean, that's the whole point. The film's called Paul. It's about this alien um, and his adventures on Earth, effectively. Uh, and therefore, you want to really buy into him as a character. And unfortunately, using Seth Rogen, it, it became a, sort of a Seth Rogen vehicle as much as a Proston and Pegg vehicle.
3: Yeah, they could have just called it Alien Seth Rogen and yeah. it would have been as apt as Paul. You know, they really need it to be a distinctive voice, but one that you you, you couldn't actually place.
4: I think that would improve the film, in my opinion. I
0: have yet to see it, but all of this talk about it is definitely making me want to uh, pick it up, although I might wait a couple of months to see if it comes out. Because you are all talking about the UK disc, but it hasn't actually come out stateside Blu-ray yet, so I might persuade Simon to give it to me when it comes out stateside mm-hmm. and, and then check it out then. Um, and see what this whole thing about it being Seth Rogen's voice is, because I, I'm pretty sure I read Alan's review and I never picked up on any of that. So it'd be interesting to, uh, to see for myself. Well, yeah, it just
4: a- comes with an extended version. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure about, well, I know that the disc in the UK will be identical because basically you can tell it was exactly the same disc they're going to release in the States. And it comes with uh, an extended version or, you know, the version they wouldn't let you see, um, mm. in the theaters. Um, I don't know how it differs from the theatrical cut. I only watched the extended version when I got the disc, so. Uh, I would think it's a bit more sweary. Probably.
1: One one thing I did pick up on there, Kaz, as well, is is Alan's review. Now, Alan wasn't too hot on on previous Peg and and Frost uh, films, so that might point to a wider appeal for this one.
0: Yeah, well, I absolutely loved uh, Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. So, if I mean, I I have heard that it's not quite as good as those but coming from a point of view that I absolutely love them, I can't see that I wouldn't have a great fondness for, for Paul, especially as, as it's them doing what they're best at, which is hanging around and talking about films. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, there's loads of that.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Am I the only one that wants to see them come back and do a uh, season three of uh, Spaced? Spaced, yeah. No, that
0: would be really good, yeah.
1: Okay, so that's Paul, and uh, we're going to wrap up uh, 3D style with Sanctum. So over to Simon.
2: Hello. Yes, Sanctum uh, is the last one i reviewed. After having watched Clash of the Titans and Gulliver's Travels, both dire movies and both 2D to 3D transfers, it was nice to actually put a genuine native 3D disc uh, back into the player um, in the name of Sanctum. Now, has anyone seen Sanctum? Does anyone know
4: Sanctum?
0: Yes, I've seen Sanctum.
4: I haven't okay. seen it.
2: I n- only
0: know it from having read your review, that's it. Yeah, very, very Abyss-like. <laughs>
2: Absolutely, yeah. Emblazoned across the top, James Cameron. Underwater, immediately. You said it straight away there, Steve. Um, you, you immediately think, oh, okay, it's Abyss, you're talking about is some sort of uh, underwater monster-type affair. And that's all it registered in my mind. I didn't pay any attention to it, never went to see at the cinema, and um, it sort of had quite a, almost a lacklustre release over here on, uh, on uh, 3D Blu-ray. Um, we got it through from the PR company. I whacked it in, thinking, "Oh, here we go—underwater monsters." And it's not that at all. Um, in fact, it's based um, on a, a true story. Um, the uh, director um, was a was a is a cave diver. It's about cave divers, um, and he was trapped um, underwater in 1988. Um, they, there was a, a freak storm, and the uh, mouth. Of the cave collapsed and they couldn't get out there was him and a party of 13 people they couldn't get out they had to go it further into the cave and try and find um another way out and essentially what they've done is they've made a big budget remake of that element so you've got um i think it's uh, six or seven people um who are cave diving uh, one is um, Mr. Fantastic from the Fantastic Four, and I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not even going to try. It. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, he uh, is, a, is a billionaire who's financing this uh, particular trip um, to an unexplored, um, it's an invented cave, um, an unexplored cave, um, trying to find a pathway from the, uh, this unexplored area to the sea. That's the basic premise, and the uh, the storm comes in, and they're um, packing up to try and get out. They don't get out quick enough, the uh, and they get trapped. Basically, they get trapped down there. And the story is um, supposedly a story of survival. How can these uh, six or seven people survive and get out from... Uh, I think it was a kilometres, a kilometre underground. You know, it is a complete yeah, fantasy. Like yeah, it's com- uh, uh, absolute fantasy. Um, they're trapped a kilometre underground. How do they get out? They've got to go further under underwater um, in unexplored territory and find a way out to the sea. Now, um, if they'd made the film um, in the in the sense of a survival in um, the counterplay between the different characters, you know, um, how are we going to get out of here? How are we going to be able to do this? winners, losers, whatever. It might have been quite an entertaining character study of people under pressure, particularly in an environment like that, such a hostile environment. Um, But somebody dies within the first few seconds of then getting trapped and you think, oh crap, I know what this is going to be. And that's basically what it is. It's who is going to survive. Whatever can go wrong does go wrong. Um, People go mad. Uh, it's just nonsense basically it's it's nonsense it's, it's terrible um, unfortunately it, it's, it's a
4: terrible they made a film, film about 13 guys getting out that could have been genuinely exciting instead of absolutely weird. you, you absolutely. get it, everyone well I'm not going to giving much away here one person gets out at the end which basically is, is kind of depressing cuz yeah. everybody else is dead and also um, the dumbest cave divers ever. I mean, when someone tells you put on the wetsuit because it's going to be freezing cold and you don't, and then you nearly freeze to death. Well, frankly, you get what you deserve. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, 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 oh, it's t- I mean, I, I actually give
2: it a six, which I was being very generous. Um, but it's, shocking oh, dialogue, too. it's, yeah,
4: oh, it's just very stupid. ropey acting.
2: Yeah. It, it, there's nothing good about the, the, the actual film itself. I mean, it's, it's really boring, mundane, Try oh it's it, oh it's awful. <laughs>
4: it's but awful.
2: and you can see good. everything coming, can't you? you? Can see everything coming as well. You know they're going to die like, That's going to happen. they like, He's going to swing there. It's oh, it's just terrible. But anyway,
4: how the did good that thing score
2: about a six? Game, I, I know. I was.
4: Yeah, I think you, you were know, being, overly was, being
2: overly generous. I was being overly generous. The thing was, um, we've been talking about style over uh, over substance all, all evening, and this film has got it in spades. The film in 3D, which is how you're supposed to see it, it's filmed natively in 3D, is stunning. The 3D element is just brilliant. And I was sort of bowled over by the the whole 3D of it. Um, Simple, simple scenes. I mean, um, that's where James Cameron's hand has come in, obviously, you know, with Avatar. He's he's produced this film to make it look brilliant. And it does. And it really, really does. I mean, simple scenes, like before they even get in the cave, um, just walking towards camera with the... uh, with trees and bits of equipment going further back into screen, you've got the helicopter flying over the cave, yeah. looking down into it. I mean, it's just glorious. When you when you get underwater, when you've got the the, the little bits of um, I don't know, what, what do you get in water? Plankton? It's not really plankton, it's dust or whatever in the water in front of the, the diver's helmet, and then you've got the light shining out from behind them. It, it's it's stunningly good 3D. Really, what brilliant.
4: it's really good for is creating a sense of claustrophobia too when you're down in the caves. Um, absolutely. There's an awesome bit where the guy's got no air, but there's bubbles of air on the ceiling of the cave, and he's going yeah. up and sucking them. That is just, you know, you think if if you were in that situation, I'd freak out. <laughs> totally.
2: Absolutely. That that and the uh, when, when the girl gets trapped in that in that cave, which um I was thought that I couldn't when I when I saw it in Descent, you know, when the girl gets trapped in Descent and yeah. you know she can't, I thought that was absolutely genius bit of filming you're so, so claustrophobic and when you add 3d to that part you think oh wow you know yeah. you're, you are there and they're underwater oh it, it it's it's you are you are there it's very claustrophobic and it's brilliant 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 3d i was so impressed um uh, in fact better i i felt it was better than um than Avatar, you know, the King, because it's all real. You know, there's no CG in this at all. This is um, uh, the cameras underwater. They were there filming it. Real people, real situations. Yeah, okay, the caves aren't real. You know, it's set building, but you know, we we can forgive that. And and you're there. You know, the sound isn't quite as good. Um, I didn't think the sound was. You know, I gave it an eight. It was it was okay. Um, you know, reasonable bass from the from the water, but a nice echo. Again, it, I I, I Talking about the descent there um the, the, the sound design in the descent when they're under uh, in the caves there was just phenomenal absolutely brilliant and and if they could have matched that kind of level of authenticity with uh sanctum here, it would have been you know ten and ten because it would have been brilliant uh we've got an audio commentary, some deleted scenes, nine minutes of deleted scenes the um uh, The making of documentary Sanctum, the real story, which is um, basically everyone involved in it talking about how it was made, which is, you know, reasonably good. Um, But I think that the best thing of it is the 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 actual film made with these guys who were trapped themselves. Did you watch that, Steve? The the I
4: haven't haven't got around to watching the extras. I only watched the movie. Well, I saw the movie at the cinema, actually. I also Mm. saw it on Tuesday when I was reviewing the Sim 2 uh, Loomis 3DS. Um, So I've, I've just watched the movie, but I will watch the extras. Is there a documentary about what really happened? The, the actual
2: video that was made while they were trapped, Nullamar Dreaming, is on there. Pretty oh, brilliant. pretty brilliant. riveting stuff. Pretty riveting stuff. Um, better and better than the film. And, any, in any many ways, much better than the film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um this is uh, this is a UK disc. Um it's region free. Um there's um two Blu-rays, there's the 3D Blu-ray and the standard Blu-ray. Um and I think there's a, a digital copy as well. But really, I mean, I can't recommend the film, but um, if you've got a 3D set and you want to prove to people how good 3D can look, particularly in its passive form, um, then this is certainly the, uh, the film to, to, to show it off because I was incredibly impressed with it.
1: Okay, so that's uh, Sanctum 3D, and uh, that's all we got time for this month. My thanks to uh, Mark, Stephen, Simon, and Kaz. Thanks very much, guys.
2: Thanks, Phil. Cheers, Phil. Cheers,
1: Phil. And uh, we'll be back again at the same time next month. This is Phil Hinton saying thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again soon.
0: The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.